0: What does it look like when two suburban families with small children commit to enter into a covenantal relationship with each other to follow the 12 marks of new monasticism? Well, it looks beautiful. My guests, Sarah Arthur and Aaron Wassinger, spent the last three years doing just that. They wrote a wonderful book about it titled The Year of Small Things, Radical Faith for the Rest of Us. My name is Nathan Foster, and this is the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Aaron, Sarah, welcome. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: This is a real treat for me to get to uh, chat with both of you today. Tell me a little bit about your book. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, I, I like point the point. Hear, Sarah. <laughs> the silent point from Aaron.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it it probably would make sense for me to start, Sarah, to start because um Originally, when I pitched this project, I hadn't even met Erin yet, Erin and her husband, Dave. And I pitched this project to Brazos Press as a reflection on how difficult it was um, when my husband and I moved from intentional Christian community in the inner city of Durham, North Carolina, to move from that to um, my husband's first appointment as a Methodist pastor to the suburbs of Lansing, Michigan. And trying to translate practices of what many people would think of as kind of more radical Christian faith into a context that's really not radical. (laughs) And um, and that was the original pitch. But then it felt really isolated from the community on the ground there in Lansing, like that we needed conversation partners um, and that we really needed accountability. If we were going to continue to make changes um, that were downwardly mobile on behalf of the poor, it was really, really easy to let that slide unless we had people asking us, "How are those changes going? How are you continuing to walk in the way of Jesus that you walked before?" Um, so we met Aaron and Dave through our church, Sycamore Creek, and the it just it just exploded from there. So Aaron can probably tell her side of it then.
2: Yeah. So I came in as like the boring one because I had never lived in an intentional community. Um, I just came from Wisconsin and (laughs) that's, it's not very radical over there. Um, so my husband got a job here in Lansing at the, at the newspaper. And during that process of moving, we lost our faith community, of course. Mm. Um, but we also found all these other books by people who are writing, um, books on new monasticism. And we were asking ourselves, great, this sounds awesome, but we have small children and we still have student loans and we just moved and we have no church community. How is this possible? Is this possible? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's about the time that we met Tom and Sarah, and they had that hungry look in their eye, too. So I guess we found each other across a crowded room
1: <laughs> or maybe in a church parking well, lot. Well, it was a pretty empty church parking lot because yeah. I was late and so were you. <laughs> so.
0: Right. right. And so, so kind of some of the background then, Sarah, is you living simply, care for the poor, new monasticism, these things are all very important to you. And then you find yourself in a suburban context with small children. Yeah. How can yeah. I live this out in this context? Does that right. kind
1: of sum it up? Yeah, I mean, when you have certain expectations within your community that practically force you to be to live within a particular socioeconomic bracket, like you have to have a perfect lawn. Um, you know, they call <laughs> the association if there are cars out in front of your house that look basically like our Subaru <laughs> looked when we first moved there. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, they're just it. How many sort of Suburban toys? Can you have Um, your your children will be going to particular kind of school? What are they expected to wear? Um, So there are all these expectations of a particular value system built into the actual zip code. Mm. And so how do you how do you? But and yet God calls people to places like that. He called Mm -hmm. us. This was the parsonage. This was the the place that our church had for us to live in, and where the bishop sent us. Let's say, you know, you're in a location like that caring for an aging parent, or you've been appointed there, or your job has landed you there, or you're stuck in a mortgage that you can't get out of, um, and you've begun to realize that's not the life that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Is God still involved in places like that? And, and ha- how, and why, and how can you continue to follow a downwardly mobile Jesus who, who befriended people on the margins that were not welcome in places
0: where I live? And, and so the two of you connect, and then decide to do this experiment of sorts as families yeah. together.
2: Yeah, but, there's a covenant.
0: Yes, Aaron, tell us tell us about it.
2: So Tom and Sarah, um, when they approached us with this experiment, um, the book was secondary. They said, first, we want to do this for a year this this covenantal friendship. Uh, and that turned out to be us promising certain things to each other that we would hold each other accountable for. Um, certain experiments or practices that we would do each month. So for instance, um, one is on financial simplicity. Mm-hmm. We were going to, we were going to share our budgets and we're going to talk about that where we're spending our money Another's on how are we spending our time? Mm-hmm. Because for that's probably, I would say that like suburbanites, of course you're driving your car most often like everywhere um, to get, mm-hmm. to get everywhere. How are you spending your time? And how are you raising your kids? Like, if you're going to live down early mobile, what does that mean for where your kids go to school? Mm-hmm. And we gave each other permission to talk about that um, and to ask each other tough questions.
0: So, do you share your, your budgets with each other?
1: We do.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not everyone's most favorite detail in the book. <laughs> no. My mom <laughs> like, wait, says, Wait, wait, that's wait. So you want us gritty. to do what? Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's so early in the book why'd you leave with that that's what my mom wants to know um it's it's interesting though because you're giving your your budget to someone and and it's sort of like standing there in your underwear right like this is all the ugly stuff look how much i spent at target last month um and you have to sort of relax and stop being so defensive enough to say where is there room to grow and there's Mm.
1: Oh gosh! In mind, there's always room to grow. Except for books, we give each other a pass when it comes to books. <laughs> right? Um, that doesn't count. That doesn't. No, that that's not even what is that money? No, that no no. <laughs> that's an investment.
0: <laughs> so, so your two families get together and commit to each other for a year to work on these specific areas. How did you choose the areas you wanted to work on?
1: You know, Aaron mentioned new monasticism earlier, and that is. A kind of um, blueprint for us. I mean, we could have gone with some other models, but because the community that Tom and I had lived in in Durham um, was pretty well influenced by the writings of new monastics like Shane Claiborne, and and of course Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove lived just across the city in a similar mm-hmm. community. And we did various um, you know activities and meals and and growing with them, um, and so a lot of those writings, you know. Were significant, and they the way that new monastic communities are described um, is pretty compelling. I mean, there's a lot of young Christians, whether they're post-Catholic or current Catholic or Protestant or post-evangelical or current evangelical or whatever they are. Who seem to um, find that move to cities compelling? That um, friendship with the poor compelling? Disciplined spiritual life in community, where you're held accountable to daily practices of prayer, etc. And but where it gets where it gets tricky is, you know, that works great if you're single. You know, or like a young couple just getting started and you can kind of move wherever you want to and like, hey, eating kale, why not? You know, never, gardening, never. which Aaron will never do. Never. But, um, you know, but it's it's a totally different thing when you start to when your family starts to grow or you're coming out of, you know, your college years, or your young adult years just buried in debt. Um and so that was the conversation we felt was most compelling. Was not only those twelve marks of new monasticism that are outlined; you can find them everywhere online, mm-hmm. um, but also in the book Schools for Conversion. Um, those are compelling, but then those in conversation with sort of the realities of family life. You know, mm-hmm. the realities of financial burdens that people have. The realities of. You know, you're actually embedded in faith communities that not everybody's on board with these 12 marks. So what, is, what about that? Um, mm-hmm. So we just felt there was a lot of there's a lot of possibility and potential in that conversation. So the 12 marks are show up in the book. Our 12 chapters don't follow them exactly, but they're mm-hmm. there.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And we realized whenever you have children into the mix, too, like, is it as simple as looking at the 12 marks and then just saying, um, you know, commitment to a a life of simplicity with children, like do you just add (laughs) with children to the end of each one. And we found out that there's actually, when you throw children into the mix, there's a lot that new monasticism isn't talking about yet. Mm-hmm. That we felt, maybe it's because all the female writers are in the kitchen doing the dishes, right, Sarah? Or changing diapers. Or changing know. diapers. Where are you, ladies? Where are you? <laughs> um, but that our voices were discovering aspects of new monasticism that weren't being talked about.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a unique contribution you two have made. I mean, not just in terms of the, you know, kind of families, but then also in these, you know, fairly ordinary suburban contexts, uh, living this out. And you guys, you you met weekly as families? Is this accurate?
2: Absolutely. We, yeah. met, we met once a week for dinner. Um, and that started about three years ago. And with the exception of this summer and stomach flu and, <laughs> you know, camping, um, it still happens. We still meet each week.
1: Yeah. In fact, I have a text, I think, from Aaron, or maybe it's an email that's like dinner (laughs) question mark, because it's Wednesday today. And I'm like, wait, wait, no, I'm not in town. I don't know what Tom's doing. You could check with him. (laughs) It goes, it it continues. We're in year three of weekly meals.
0: And do you continue with the covenant with each other to talk about some of this stuff?
2: Yep. Hello, oh, Erin. <laughs> yes, we have. And it just gets better and better. <laughs> so we we have. And I think the most difficult part for us now in year three, or at least for my family, is that once you do these experiments once, once you reach like your second, your third year, it starts to feel more normal and you can feel more settled. Mm-hmm. And so what Tom and Sarah do is they constantly push and say, wait, you know, this is an
1: ever evolving thing, this growth.
2: Mm hmm.
1: And kind of the question of what's next, you know, like we're, um, I don't think there's, Jesus talks about money so much. And I think that's, one of the biggest things we circle back to a lot of times, even if we feel like a particular theme in a particular month is important, inevitably it circles back to money, wouldn't you say, Erin? Because yeah. there are job changes, or you know, somebody's going to need orthodontia, or you know, whatever it is, you know, swim school. That was my life this summer. Um, and how are we? Each different thing, you know, is important to talk about. Like, why is why is this? Coming up, like, how is Dave going to get a new car? How is this going to be paid for kind of thing? Right. So
2: who's providing childcare so Sarah can have a day off? Yeah, right. <laughs> right.
0: Was there something helpful about, I mean, you're facing normal life struggles of people in your situation, but yet you're now doing them together. You have another family speaking mm-hmm. into that. Was that helpful?
1: Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, that's well it's something that actually Tom and I were used to while living in community i mean in a the the household we lived in in durham was called isaiah house of hospitality and we had the house couple that owned the home and basically they were the ones practicing, practicing hospitality to the rest of us and then um a couple of other members of the community. And then we offered hospitality to women and children that were in need of transitional housing. So some (laughs) were coming out of shelters and everything. And, and, you know, weekly house meetings, we were constantly talking about these kinds of things. Um, And yet, you know, and so you couldn't get away from it. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like you're sharing this household, you have to figure these things out. Um, But I think what was new was, how optional this felt. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, we, we're getting together weekly, but, um, but the only way that that held together was a, the covenant Mm -hmm. and B, I mean, that's a big vow, right. To make a covenant with another family. But B was just the, the character of Aaron and Dave, like their, their desire to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And those can feel kind of tenuous, you know, people make, vows all the time they don't keep. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that three years into it, um, we're still going, that's what feels weird to me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> Like, wait, but, but, and yet it's so, it'd be like writing my own family out of my life now. Like they're, our kids are like cousins to each other. Like we are, we're spiritually related. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: This, this sort of family connection has formed me in ways that I can't imagine my life without.
0: Nice. I agree. I agree. And Aaron, this was totally new for you then. You didn't come out of a similar context.
2: No, not at all. When we lived in Wisconsin, Dave and I both worked full-time at the newspaper. And we had three children very quickly, one after the other. And the thing that happens, I found, is, and this is true for a lot of people, but once your nuclear family starts to develop, you sort of close in on each other. Like mm-hmm. It becomes this closed unit. And because we didn't have family living close by... We often felt very isolated, even though we had a very strong church community. So the difference in this covenantal friendship was that we sort of blew up that nuclear family thing, and and now we redefine family is what we've done. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, and this is I this is totally New Testament gospel, right? This is not anything <laughs> new, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> right. You know, and it it, it has the feeling of like a small order within a larger faith community. Mm-hmm. So people that have kind of been set aside for a specific relationship. Um, and and I would hope, our hope would be that this isn't unique, that, mm-hmm. that, that this is exactly right. what God calls Christians to in mm-hmm. community. Um, and it's, it ideally would start in local churches, but that, you know, when you find a Christian friend who is willing to ask you the hard questions, that you don't just kind of, like, dismiss that. I mean, Dietrich mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer, you know, like, don't, don't let go of that. Like, you can't let go of that. That's something only the Holy Spirit does. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, to be intentional then about that friendship, to not just let it be like, hey, let's get together for coffee. But mm-hmm. actually, like, here are questions I want you to be asking me. about my life and about my life choices Um, as families.
0: I mean, that's a unique piece.
2: And actually, like, I'm not sure I would ask my family some of these questions. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like maybe Dave, my husband, but um, I I would never ask my mom
1: about how she's spending her money. Well, even though married couples, I think struggle to ask each other some of these questions. And I think what I've found interesting is when you guys are asking us, It forces Tom and I to talk about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, we should probably sit down and talk about the budget again. You know, whereas a lot of American couples, like, you're just in survival mode. And if you can actually talk about the schedule for the day, you're doing good, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. much less, like, how you're going to pay for Christmas.
0: Right. Right. And then when you guys met, I mean, you included your kids in all this. Yes. What would would it look like one of these, you know, if I dropped in on a dinner? What type of a... (laughs) picture what i have you guys sitting around talking serious people
1: have done that you're welcome to (laughs) yeah
2: anytime come on over it would look like a little bit like chaos um while our children run around um our children are not very good monks at all (laughs) Um, (laughs) they play and they argue and and they love each other but sometimes have enough of each other um but it's us you know in the kitchen making dinner together you know this isn't like come over to my house. I've prepared this meal for us and we're going to, you know, there are no flowers. I am the host. I I do not even pick up my laundry. You know, it's just here in the, in a dirty pile (laughs) on the floor. And, uh, but yet it's us ignoring the rest of that and knowing that we have about an hour or an hour and a half
1: to talk about the things that matter. (laughs) And it's, I think what what you see in that conversation around the table probably is a little haphazard, but there's a kind of driving undercurrent of intentionality, you know, and if it's not, if it's not one of the, you know, Aaron, Dave, or myself, it's always Tom. It's always right? Tom. Don't keep yourself. Tom steering the conversation back, you know, <laughs> he's the resident pietist. I say, you know, they come along roughly, you know, once a, a hundred, every, Couple hundred years. John Wesley, Tom Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> She's not kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, so he'll, you know, he steers it back, and um, and and I think it's been interesting to watch, particularly um, Alice and Micah seem to tune in a little more as the conversation center around questions of ultimate concern. Um, Your children, Alice may not. Yeah, the two are oldest, two oldest. Um, because this is normal now for them. Mm-hmm. Like they don't think it's weird for grownups to sit around talking about these things. And so it's totally, um, I mean, Alice may not say much, but when she does pipe in every once in a while, it's actually on point, you know, mm-hmm. like right. she's, right. she's tracking. Um, so that's been, I think three years into it. Very interesting. Cause when we first started, sorry, five kids under the age of six, am I right? Yes. Were we crazy? What were we thinking? <laughs> I think
2: we were over-caffeinated or something. I'm not sure what happened.
1: <laughs> that's just wrong.
0: You okay, was, well. I was going <laughs> to ask you, how how the kids, you know, what have you seen happen for them in this?
1: My
2: kids have a relationship with Tom and Sarah's kids that's deeper than one they have with anyone else at church at Sycamore Creek. But, and it's it feels so routine. It feels like family, like we've said, but I think they've also grown to know that Tom and Sarah are two adults that they can trust. Um, Mm -hmm. They are two reliable figures who can answer tough questions. And, you know, they watch mom and dad talk about things like money and sex. And then, so like Tom and Sarah obviously
1: can handle it. Mm. (laughs) Sorry, Sarah, you're, you're up for this one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and I think it just kind of adds more sort of, I don't want to use the word ammunition because that's not really what I'm looking for. There's more ballast or something like when the boat of my life is healing over way too far Mm -hmm. in the direction of like crazy culture, consumerism, like it's not just one other adult trying to kind of get things balanced out. It's Dave and Aaron too. Plus I see Micah, calling us out sometimes on stuff. Um, And that's been, yeah. And that's been really, so like, so here's a great example. We practice hospitality in the parsonage to our friend, Tabitha. Mm -hmm. Um, We've interviewed her for our podcast. She's in the book, anything, you know, she's cool with whatever we talk about. And um, she had dropped her phone at one point and the screen was absolutely shattered. And because she works, Runs her own cleaning business. Income kind of comes and goes. It's hard. It's hard to pin down income sometimes, and so she was. She was. It was going to take her a while to replace her phone, and I remember we have this little book on the table that's a money questions for families book, and Mm -hmm. we happened to flip one night to Aaron and Dave weren't there. I don't think, but we flipped to the question of if you were given two hundred dollars, what would you do with Mm it? And uh for your birthday, if you were given two hundred dollars for your birthday, first of all, Micah's jaw like hit the ground, like what? And I was like, yeah, don't ever, no, that won't ever happen. But, but hypothetically,
0: erase a zero, um,
1: yeah, <laughs> right? Just right. Um, and the first thing he said was, um, "I would, I would help Tabitha get a new phone," mm. <laughs> and. And I, well, first of all, gift giving is his love language. I'm not going to lie. Like it's not, it's some of its Mm -hmm. temperament, but also he hears us talking about ways that we are helping in our community and what we're, how we're using our money to help. And he Mm -hmm. hears Dave and Aaron talk about that. Um, And so it's just normal for him. And I'll be honest, it never occurred to me to help Tabitha get a new phone. Mm. And yet that is that is so important to her job like she can't she can't do her job without that, mm-hmm. and he called me out like he didn't intend to, but that was that's what happened
0: so how, we have how been, old is he
1: He's six and a half mm-hmm. <laughs> we're raising very weird children, that's no, so they're what you're sort to say. of they're not monastic in the like uh you know contemplative sense, but I think I think we're training them up in ways that may come back to surprise us, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, in good ways. <laughs> in
1: good ways. <laughs>
0: well, I was I was thinking that you're you're modeling something for your kids, whether you intend to. Well, we're always modeling something, whether we intend to or not. But yes. to, to model That's, that adults get together and have real conversations <laughs> about, you know, what they're doing and not doing. It's beautiful. Right.
1: yeah. It's all grace, too, because we're, we're bearing witness to the Holy Spirit fulfilling promises, you know, that when two or three are gathered, that that Christ is present. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we, we get to see that um, around our table, not just, you know, at coffee hour on Sunday morning.
0: Mm-hmm. How has this process as families making a covenant to each other, and then also the two of you writing a book about it, how has this been on your friendship?
2: I think there were times when Sarah was like, if I get one more email from Aaron, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> but Sarah is so gracious. Oh, my gosh. That I was going to say
1: the reverse, but okay. No, but Sarah
2: is so gracious. Um, I would say the covenant, because the covenant came first, we were more committed to the relationship than we were the book. Mm-hmm. Um but that's not to say don't tell that tell our publisher that, but yes. don't tell our publisher that. <laughs> but that's not to say that it was like super easy. Um, it's difficult whenever you're sharing some personal writing about your own life that they're also witnessing that they're now reading about and trying to edit and saying, is this really true? Is this what I'm seeing? Mm-hmm. Um, that can be really gut wrenching. And luckily, Sarah handled it all very graciously.
1: Well, Aaron is the, the journalist who understands deadlines. And so this is true. I can't imagine the torment she must have experienced when she'd be like, here's my chapter 10. And I'd be like, you know, two months later, here's the rest of my chapter 10. Like, <laughs> you couldn't have at least like texted me to say you got the chapter, like something.
2: Right. So oh. for two months, I just assumed she hated everything I wrote.
0: I okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was so talking. Sorry. I heard Ooh. from a publisher recently who who said, "Yeah, I just you know finished a book that a couple have written together, and they're now in marriage counseling. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to make it."
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and there's I think there's a way that you can script each other that's potentially not helpful. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was I think that that was part of the challenge was to narrate faithfully um, without sort of taking shortcuts for the sake of, you know, a clean and tidy chapter. Right. Um, and that's where we definitely had to, Aaron was definitely gracious with me. Like, that's not how I remember the conversation, Sarah. I was like, <laughs> I just wanted to finish the chapter. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> but the covenant, I think, created the parameters for, for something that outlasts
0: mm-hmm. whatever we write.
1: You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, you guys, you make a good team because you're, you're both very different. I mean, there's something that's really neat to me about the two of you uh, coming together as friends.
1: Mm. Oh. Me too.
0: <laughs>
1: we got a good thing going, Aaron. Yeah, we do. Let's keep it up.
0: <laughs> hey, tell us about the chapter on unselfish self-care.
2: Mm. That chapter is the chapter that everybody brings up to me as the chapter that like spoke something to them, which has been really meaningful for me um, because I don't remember writing most of it. (laughs) I think that was definitely the work of the Holy spirit there. Um, That was the most difficult because you have to admit that. Sure. You may be bad with your money or, you know, maybe sometimes our decisions with our kids aren't always spot on, but here you're talking about like your actual health, your mental health is what I wrote about in my depression and anxiety and just to be completely honest with someone, that's one of the hardest things. You know, you want to appear like you're all put together and you want to appear like um, you're completely healthy. And when you're not, your community suffers. Mm-hmm. Your covenantal mm-hmm. friends notice. And when you're, when you're that close together, when you're sitting around a dinner table, it's really hard to hide that. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the most difficult part is just admitting I was not well
0: mm-hmm. and
2: having them call me on it.
0: Mm-hmm. How did they call you on it?
2: Sarah would just ask, how are you doing with depression lately? <laughs> and I would say, well, not well. So there's, a, there's an honesty on both sides. Um, mm-hmm. After I did, I went and saw a doctor and, you know, I'm on medicine. And Sarah will ask me still occasionally, um, do you feel like it's working? Do you feel like the walls are closing in on you?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, no one else asked me that question.
0: Mm. And and this is asked with your spouses and your kids, yes?
2: Yes, yep, they're all there. They're all there, which provides a level of accountability. Because Alice, is my oldest, is nine now, um, and she's not very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I were like, I'm great, and I weren't, she would call me on it too. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Well and I think what Aaron is so good about saying in that book is um, in that particular chapter is just you know when you when you start to pursue spiritual practices of downward mobility and actual like on the ground changes in your life um, you, there's this there's a little bit of a kind of euphoria that comes with this, like, yes, I'm doing what God is calling me to do. (laughs) And, and like, you know, I can leap tall problems in a single bound. I can drive all the homeless to church. I can save the world and we can't save the world. Um, That job has already been taken. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, um, and, and she's so good about saying, first of all, even though nowhere in new monastic literature is there any sort of affirmation that you need to rest and rejuvenate and take care of yourself, mm-hmm. we're hopeful that that will change. That there will be more conversations around that. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's okay, you know, to uh, not be okay mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that it's. There's no reason why these struggles should be a secret, particularly in faith communities, Mm -hmm. um, that Aaron and no one should feel like they have to hide this from their brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, And she really calls out faith communities in that chapter and elsewhere um, for perpetuating the myth of perfection, Mm -hmm. like that I've got it all together and I'll be fine. Right. It
0: doesn't help anyone, does it?
1: No, it doesn't. Mm No. Oh, this it, it's like Jesus, you know, saying, "Let well, the sick know they need a doctor." <laughs> and this is one area where the church doesn't allow people to be sick. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. who to like really need Jesus, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. For healing and peace and and um, the the a place of restoration, mm-hmm. um, and that it, the gift of medication is a gift. Mm-hmm. It's a gift, not a, a failure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Right. Did you know, Erin, that it would go this deep when you began this?
2: No, no, never. Um, I think I mentioned to Sarah way in the beginning when we're making the covenant, like, I think I'll talk about running in this chapter. because <laughs> I'm a runner. Like, <laughs> you know, I wasn't very self-aware about how bad my depression had gotten, mm-hmm. um, until it came time to write that chapter. And I had kind of hit a wall And what we write about in the book happened. You know, I went to my doctor, um, I had conversations with Tom and Sarah and Dave about this. Um, but what struck me is how many people come after, after they read the book, they come up to me or they'll email me and they'll say, here's what happened to me. And Mm -hmm. I'm now the keeper of all these horrible, yet beautiful, wonderful stories about, Mm -hmm. you know, other people's struggles yet the way that God has redeemed them or, um, the way that they're coming to me and asking me for prayer. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. I had no idea.
1: Aaron very bravely preached on this as part of the series for the year of small things. I think there were five weeks in the series. Yep. Five Five or five or six. So we could have picked from any 12 chapters, but um, that was one that we chose from. Mm -hmm. And the response just even within our, our congregation has multiple campuses across those campuses was, really, really profound. Um, And so I sense further conversation Mm -hmm. around this. Mm -hmm. I think the church needs it. I think churches everywhere need it. Um, But particularly, you know, particularly uh, those of us who feel called to heroics um, (laughs) when that's not, in fact, (laughs) a call. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So, yeah, that's the gift. I think the biggest gift of the book that Aaron brought. Mm-hmm. where i was just i was just floored when she sent me that chapter mm-hmm. i was like well how am I, what am i supposed to write now for chapter 11 <laughs> like okay <laughs> uh, but then for you know her her honesty forced me to do some self reflection and that's that was the point mm-hmm. yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah when you look at the last 3 years of being in covenantial is that the right word covenantial
1: Covenantal.
0: Covenantal. We kind
1: of made it up. I don't think we. I don't think we found that word anywhere else except covenantal. in our own brains. But yes, yeah.
0: Covenantal. It's a good word. It's. A, oh, Thank I feel you. better for not knowing it. Then okay. <laughs> so, so when you look at the last three years of being in covenantal relationship with each other, what would be one or two of the biggest takeaways for you, each?
2: Go ahead, Erin. That's a really big question. For us, is like this continual evolution. Um, our covenantal friendship has been like this solid bedrock underneath everything else that's you know tr- twisting and turning and upside down and unpredictable and just knowing that that is there is it means the world to us to mm-hmm. Dave and I I mean that's so that's so cliche but no, um, it's, not. it's just the sense of knowing that um, these are the things that The Bible talks about, Mm -hmm. that these friendships would happen, that these relationships within your church would happen, um, that you would be provided for in ways you can't even imagine, and that you would thus provide that in other ways to someone else, to them, Mm -hmm. and that they would allow us to do that. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good.
2: And the things that we went through keep evolving. You know, the problems that we had with our children three years ago are not still the things that we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. And um, knowing that they've seen us through that, through each progression, um, you know, that's a really unique thing for a friend to commit to do.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. Sarah, how about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think our our instinct going into it for Tom and myself was the sense that, um, that practices of downward mobility are possible, but really, really hard without, <clears throat> that intentional accountability. <clears throat> and we knew that going into it, that was kind of our instinct. But to see it played out mm-hmm. um, is a whole different thing. Like, like it's really true that if, you know, Erin is going to come back soon, I know she is, to a question she asks me all the time, which is, when is your Sabbath, Sarah? Mm. And because I know she's going to ask me, on it. <laughs> I'm. I'm going to have to figure that out. I actually um, had that crafted in an email this week, but I didn't send it yet because you're camping. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, because summer's crazy. It's right. it just is this crazy vortex that sucks people in and then spits them out at the end of it. And we all kind of went, "What it just happened?" <laughs> um. And and I don't get away with just being like, "Yeah, summer was crazy." And Aaron will be like, "No, actually, you're crazy because you are not." living into a commandment, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's going to, it's going to harrow your soul. Like mm-hmm. you need to, you need to obey the Lord in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not going to say it that harshly or directly, um, but she is going to ask me. And, um, and that, that is the biggest takeaway for me mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. not being held accountable in like, Because I've been doing bad stuff, I need to stop doing bad stuff, but because I'm called to good stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I need someone to cheer me on in doing good things. Mm -hmm. Not in not doing bad things. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's been a
1: very positive thing.
0: Accountability to do good stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Like that. There's two things in your work and experience that I think are really resonate for people. One, you speak to some of the Western isolation that people feel. And then two, you found some very practical, simple, easy ways to live out a life that um, people are wanting to, thinking of, desiring to. Um, would you have advice for people who are saying, I'd like to have you know this type of relationship to help me be accountable for good things? Would, mm. would you have any advice for people?
1: Go ahead, Sarah. Well, we we say over and over again, you know, start with your local church family. Mm-hmm. Um, seek out some people in that congregation who are maybe doing one of the t- twelve things we talk about. They don't have to be doing all of them, but mm-hmm. maybe they're, you know, they've just done this crazy like they've gotten out of debt really fast and really intentionally, and that's inspiring. So, mm-hmm. what? How how might you learn from them about financial simplicity? Um, maybe it's just one area and you seek them out and be like, you know what, your, your life is showing me that you're intentional about this as a faith practice, not just Mm -hmm. as a, you know, practical practice, like this is a faith practice for you. And I want to learn, I want to learn from you and I need someone to ask me questions about my own financial practices. Um, and you know, take them out for coffee, find out, probe a little bit more, like where does faith fit into The decisions that they're making and how they're living their faith on the ground. Mm. Uh, Maybe it's a family that takes in foster children or a woman that, you know, drives shut-ins to church every single week. Why does she do that? Mm. Who who does that? You know, who reaches out to those on the margins of society that intentionally? I mean, she's got to sometimes go out of her way, Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know. She she's doing that she's planning ahead she's calling them she's contact like what what mm-hmm. you know the, the our culture doesn't do this so mm-hmm. get to know these people and probe a little bit see if they'd be interested in getting together for coffee getting together for a meal once a month mm-hmm. um you know checking in mm-hmm. and then for people who are really struggling with their local faith communities and are trying to find people like that or find a way to fit in um even if it's a long-distance friendship that you developed maybe in college or in a previous place you lived, um, it's okay to at least have that mm-hmm. accountability even if it's over Skype mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. phone once a month or once a week or however you want to swing that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's Those are two of the ways we've suggested to people to seek covenantal friendships.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Good. Aaron. anything you'd want to add?
2: Um, just that… Don't forget that discernment is also one of the threads that we weave throughout this book, and that um, just because things happen for us in a certain way, um, or because we practice certain, you know, so-called experiments, that those are the ways that will play out in anyone else's life. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit moves where it will. um, And with the people that the Holy Spirit draws you to, of course, your experiences are going to be different. They're going to look different. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And that's okay. Mm
0: -hmm. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk, but then also just sharing your story uh, with with the world.
1: It's been a joy. Thank you, Nathan.
0: Oh, did you hear
1: that? <laughs> was that it was a like storm a- at your end? Who's, it is. Where was that?
0: It's here. It's pouring rain and and big thunder to signal the end of our interview.
2: Huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> Say it's the Lord. <laughs>
0: That's good. <laughs> well, there you have it. Once again, Aaron and Sarah's book is titled "The Year of Small Things: Radical Faith for the Rest of Us." It's very well written. They're excellent writers. Hey, thanks for listening, and I'm so grateful the generous folks who give to Renovari making these interviews possible. Have a great week.